welcome to Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 73, otherwise known as season four, episode 16. I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davison. How are you doing, Jacob? I'm fine. Fine like wine. <laughs> you know, I, when you, I thought we were just going to get the single word fine out of you, but you went the <laughs> extra mile. <laughs> Also with us is your other other host, John Korea. How you doing, Korea? <laughs> I'm doing great. That was that was awkward. That was one of the least convincing. I'm fine, but yet, but you stuck the landing with the fine like why. I am I am absolutely convinced that you are doing fantastic now. <laughs> uh, I was watching Aqua Teen Hunger Force and something Meat Watts said. I don't know. That'd be funny. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's we're we're back to recording early in the morning again, so I think we're all a bit dead inside. <laughs> no, I'm still waking up. Uh, and also with us, you probably have heard him laughing already. So we're gonna bring him in right now. We have back. This is technically the three peat, but I think that we've had a couple false starts. This is probably like his fifth appearance. Waylon Jordan, how you doing, Waylon? <laughs> I'm great and always excited to be here with you guys. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Always excited to have you. Now you and Kelly, I think, are tied for yeah. being three, three guests. Although you do have those two false starts. So you're more experienced, I think. Oh, I definitely think I get more credit <laughs> for being here more times. Whether those times actually made it to to where people heard them or not, I was here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've, you've seen us at our worst because that's with technical uh, difficulties. Uh what have you guys been watching? Have we all seen Candyman? I've seen Candyman. I've seen Candyman. I have not gotten to see it yet. We'll try not to spoil it, but the three of us are going to talk about Candyman. Well, also, we almost said it four times just then. So, <laughs> that would have, so it's almost good that Waylon hasn't seen it because we... Go oh, come to- on. Candyman, Candyman. Oh, we're all set. No, 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 no. <laughs> what did you guys think? I thought it was great. I did I mean, too. I yeah I did you know I wasn't a hundred percent sure what to expect even with uh you know trails and commercials going in but I thought and this isn't really much of a spoiler I thought it was a great continuation of uh, the series you know it's weird because it it is a sequel it is it's a continuation but it also it's pretty much the same plot as the first one except you have an artist instead of a grad student but it's you know someone researching the myth. Um, but the thing is, they go over, you know, it's a sequel because they go over the story of Helen from the first one. And it's part of the mythology now. So I, I thought it was really great how they handled that. Oh, yeah. I thought it was very fantastic, uh, especially since like it wasn't it didn't feel like, you know, like with uh, Halloween 2018, it, it felt like we're cutting off all the sequels and stuff. It felt like it was just a continuation of the story that started with the first film, uh, but it didn't like neglect what happened with the sequels. Hey, some people like the sequels. I had fun with, you know, Farewell to the Flesh, you know. Farewell so. to the Flesh is really good, though. I actually think Farewell to the Flesh is I a thought quality that one was solid. Joint. I still haven't seen Day of the Dead. Uh, I do have a German Blu-ray coming in soon for it. Because, um, you know, I like to abuse myself by dropping $25 on <laughs> sci-fi sequels. Um, but no, I thought it was fantastically done. Um, the acting was phenomenal. A lot of the uh, cinematography was very simple, but very effective. Lots of mirrors. And I loved how they used the mirrors. So brilliant. Even just that opening or that elevator scene where like all of the oh, yeah. elevator walls are mirrors. You're like, dude, this. Yeah. 
Insane. Oh, dude. As soon as like the first like appearance of Candyman happened through mirrors, I Lindsay and I saw it at the drive. And so I saw so we, you know, we can talk. I turned around. I was like, fuck, we're going to have to look at mirrors all the time. And sure enough, <laughs> just like every scene there was a mirror. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And I just love the detail. Like so, sometimes you're seeing or hearing bees and they're coming from inside the mirror. Yeah. That was yeah, that really, was, that well was really creepy. And yeah, no, just great mirror cinematography. Uh, and this is going to sound weird. It kind of reminded me of uh, Poltergeist 3 be- because there was so much uh, mirror effects in that particular movie. Which Poltergeist 3 slaps. Yeah, and that, that shit was in camera. Yeah. Poltergeist 3 kills. Like, that was, that was the first movie to scare the shit out of me as a kid. So... That movie gets so much hell, but it really is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's that big high rise building and everything. Chicago. It was, yeah. it was it was a lot of fun. And yeah, again, Chicago. What's going on in Chicago, Chicago guys? Chicago, the Windy City. You guys got a lot of spooky shit happening. Uh, but I do want to take a quick moment to address people who are like, oh, "Why did Candyman have to be so political?" Just just one question. Have you seen a Candyman before? Like, for fuck's sake, do you know anything about his origins? Like, come on. Like, it's it's embedded in it. I actually thought that this one dialed back the, the socio-political commentary. I mean, it was clearly there and they talked about it. But yeah. in the end, it didn't distract from it being a balls out slasher. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, I was I was a little confused that people are like, oh, I'm through with Candyman. It's like, well. You know, yeah, this is your first Candyman because all of them, like, all of them. Yeah, well, all of them have that in it. And and so many people, I don't know how they get through life. I don't know how they watch watch movies, you know, and and don't pick up on things. I mean, maybe they saw it when they were younger and they just, you know, never revisited it and they were too young to get it the first time around. That's a possibility. But yeah, yeah, of of all the slasher films. Candyman. I mean, it was there from the beginning and it was like right up front, you know, um, even in the way they changed it from the source material, from, yeah. from the the way that the the story was written by Clive Barker. You know, it took place in England and it was this pale, pasty white guy with blonde hair and, you know, and then they took it to Chicago and with just from the setting and everything else they did this, this film was political from the beginning. This franchise was, Oh yeah. Although I feel like a lot of these takes are disingenuous and are just a way to uh, drive outrage clicks online. Totally. I knew as, you know, as soon as uh Candyman was going to be out, like there was going to be all these outrage videos about Candyman going woke or uh, so SJW or whatever. And you know, it's just, it's, Totally out there. It's uh, it's a grift. That's just one of the funniest things I've heard all morning. Candyman being woke, like a woke Candyman. Like <laughs> that's just such a silly thing to even like say, like to, to actually believe in. Oh, I can't believe Candyman's woke now. It's like what now? <laughs> Where have you been? Plus, you have Jordan Peele producing it and Nia DaCosta directing. Yeah. How? What did you expect it? I'm so excited for her career. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see what she does next. Just from what I've heard about this particular film. Yeah. I can't wait to see what she does next. Uh, I believe she's doing the new Captain Marvel movie. Marvels. Yeah, the Mar- yeah. The Marvels. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited. Also, and I'm going to say this because I was saying it a lot when I was watching HBO, uh, HBO's Watchmen. But the lead, uh, Yaya Abdul, Mateen. Uh, yeah. I kept the main reason why we had to see it at the drive in. Uh, 
one still not entirely comfortable with theaters, but also I knew that while watching Candyman, I would turn to Lindsay and go, I know we came to see Candyman, but I wasn't expecting so much man candy. <laughs> Seriously, that dude, like when he came up in Watchmen, I was like, holy shit, who's this guy? Fuck. Um, so there was a lot of that happening during it. But his character was very interesting as uh, Anthony uh, in the new Candyman because he's the protagonist, but he's not necessarily a great guy. He's kind of a dick. And I really enjoy that in movies when you don't have like a, a like an extreme good person. Like there's there's a lot of conflict. A clear cut protagonist. Yeah. Helen in the first Candyman was kind of a bitch, too. Yeah. Yeah. She's even called out on putting like her thesis above the people, the actual people. Of yeah. Green. And that was what was interesting with her, especially when the accusations are going towards you're murdering these people because she's not a good person, but she's not bad enough to murder, you know? And so it is one of those things where it's like, well, she's not a great person, so I guess she could murder. It's like, well, how are all of you in this movie making those very up until like when the best friend gets murdered in the first one? Then it's like, okay, I can. The evidence is very strong. Uh, although, she, yeah, she did kill the dog, or she was there covered in blood in that person's apartment. Man, Candyman made a really good case in that first movie of Helen <laughs> murdering a lot of people. <laughs> like he he made that evidence very clear. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. I I, I want I, I saw something last night that I don't want to talk too much about because we already did, but I saw the Suicide Squad. And oh, nice. Oh, yeah. The reason the reason I actually watched the Suicide Squad is because it's leaving HBO Max today. So I was like, okay, I've procrastinated enough. Um, I know it's not supposed to be a comedy, but I could not stop laughing through that whole movie. It's it's Jacob nailed it. It is a high budget trauma movie, and it's <laughs> so much fun. Yeah, just that opening scene where like, you, you know, you I don't want to spoil anything, but it is the opening scene where basically like all these people you think are main characters are not <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. suicide squad. A lot of them are yeah. going to die. Yeah. And as soon as they let you know what uh, TDK stands for, I just about lost it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the the most useless superpower of all time. But it but, was you know, awesome. hey, <laughs> it was definitely played for comedy. You know, it was really funny to me. I, I I turned to my husband when we started watching that. I turned to Bill and I was like, this is like X Factor and Deadpool 2. Like, that's what I'm yeah. feeling right here. Yeah. Like before we even before it all even went down, like they're all coming in and everything. And I was like, I'm getting real X Factor Deadpool 2 vibes X-Force. here. <laughs> X-Force. Yeah. yeah. X-Force. Without the Brad Pitt. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I think is genius. If you're going to Brad Pitt in your movie, they, they show him for like two frames max. <laughs> Just enough to register that that's Brad Pitt. <laughs> Instead, we got something better, and that was Pete Davidson's character not lasting more than a minute. <laughs> and he got killed being a scumbag, too. That was the best part. Now, uh, uh, just to get another one out of the way, because you guys saw it and talked about it, but I had a, the Green Knight was fucking phenomenal that was worth dropping 20 bucks on a digital rental for me at least um i i loved how it played out just like an an ancient epic poem like i was sitting there i was like this is playing out like if someone just did like a straight-up adaptation of the epic of gilgamesh or type you know just the pacing its characters everything it was very true and i liked how again broken protagonist that guy could not do anything right the entire movie (laughs) um and it was just him 
fucking up left and right. And I loved it. Uh, I'm tired of boring do-gooders. Give me more broken protagonists, please. But yeah, Green Knight was phenomenal. Uh, and speak and on new releases, I just saw this new horror movie on uh, Shutter called Superhost. Have either of you guys seen that? That thing is buck wild. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't it though? Is it a sequel to Host? No. <laughs> it's a couple of uh, it's a couple of travel vloggers, and they go to this this place, and they're like, you know, talking about you know super hosts, these you know these awesome hosts, that, and these sort of like Airbnb type places, uh, but but it just really just spins completely out of control with their with their host. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say their host is this woman named Rebecca, played by uh, Grace Phipps, who. Uh, you know, she's like extremely quirky, has real Ann Wilkes vibes, and, but she and like she uh, flips her emotions at the drop of a hat. And she she is de- definitely one of the highlights of the movie. It just like re- just really kind of steals the scenes every time she shows up. Also has uh, some great uh, bits with uh, Barbara Crampton as like yeah. the bitter uh, former super host on their show. Like uh, they apparently gave her a bad rating and she's so mad at them that she tracked them down. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and yeah, the, the super host, she I also got real like Aubrey Plaza vibes off of her. Like I kept oh, thinking yeah. like this would have been a great role for her too. like it's just that kind of character. But yeah, if you if you guys get a chance to watch that one, it's so much fun. Just so much fun to watch. Yep, it's on Shutter. I'll jump in and say I saw it took me a while, but I finally got around to seeing uh Werewolves Within. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Man, did I have fun. Yeah, I say, is, <laughs> is it one of your favorites of the year? Oh, oh, without a doubt. Like it's just so and and you know, I I started to watch it a, a while ago and got into it and then like had to stop and i was like i need to finish this movie i need to finish this movie so i finally got to go back and actually fully see it all the way through and man what a movie i had so much fun that that ending was killer oh yeah (laughs) that movie actually recently inspired me to finally watch murder by death because i was like man i need to watch another great great movie (laughs) i need another whodunit and i got like halfway through it because Man, as everyone was firing on all cylinders, especially um, Peter Falk, uh, Columbo, funniest person in that movie. But Peter Sellers as Dr. Wang was, uh-huh. oh, that just was killing the movie so bad. And everyone's so good in it, except for that. And it's just the most like hard. It's not quite breakfast at Tiffany's of like racial stereotypes of Asians, but it's like just just slightly less than that but like you know uh, but at the same time the the whole point was to kind of poke fun at all of that because of all the charlie tan movies that came out in like the 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 40s and stuff and and all the terrible things that were done in there but yeah it is a really fine line and it stepped on both sides of that line several times throughout yeah there was some funny bits with that though of this of him being like no that's my adoptive son i i I left it that but yeah (laughs) i had to take a break i was like oh man this is this is a bit much for right now i'll I'll definitely finish it soon but like yeah oh and in terms of uh repertory screenings uh i just saw for the first time david lynch's lost highway and oh man i have no idea where i am <laughs> i was about to say do you have thoughts can you can you put them together after that? uh dick lauren is dead 
See, I've never watched Lost Highway. I've okay. owned it on DVD for 12 years now. <laughs> and never put <laughs> it in the DVD never, player. <laughs> like, I, don't get me wrong. I love David Lynch. I want to watch Lost Highway. It's just every time I go to watch a movie and I see that DVD case, I go, am I in the mood for this? I don't know if I'm in the he mood. He went through <laughs> a period with like Lost Highway and Inland Empire where he it, like, I don't even know if he knew what he was doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's entirely possible that he didn't. <laughs> I mean, he knew what he was doing, but I don't think he knew where he was going. You know, I mean, it was a very entertaining movie with an astounding cast, like particularly uh, Robert Loja was uh, both hilarious and terrifying. I can't hear the name Robert Loggia without thinking of that family guy where um, I was about to say, I went to the exact same place. (laughs) Robert Loggia. It's like being stuck behind Robert Loggia in line. (laughs) I think I think that's probably related to the the joke, because in Lost Highway, there's uh, like a guy tailgates Robert Loggia's character is kind of like this uh, crime lord uh, boss or whatever. And so he just like, uh, rails this guy off the road with his car and just beats the shit out of him. And uh, <laughs> the funniest part to me, though, is I later looked it up and on two fronts. For one, uh, Robert Loja got the role for Mr. Eddie in Lost Highway because he had originally waited several hours to try out for the role of Frank Booth in Blue Velvet and then uh, like just sweared the hell out of David Lynch when he uh, wasn't told about it. So Lynch promised him a role in another movie. And also, apparently that scene was based off of David Lynch getting so mad that somebody was tailgating him. And that's what he wanted to do to the guy who was tailgating him. Like David Lynch <laughs> hates tailgaters with a passion. So never, ever tailgate David Lynch or he will destroy you. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. That's one of the things I avoid in life is that. <laughs> and people who think dolphins have mystical powers. <laughs> cool what else you guys been seeing i uh when we saw Candyman at the drive-in they double featured it with escape room uh the uh ch- championships uh tournament tournament of champions terp- yeah. ter- tournaments of champions so i took we took that as an opportunity the night prior we watched the first escape room and Candyman, and then the next day watched the new Candyman and escape room so it was a double feature double feature um and so I've never seen the, the escape room uh, movies before. And I got to applaud. They always have one set piece that blowed me away. You know, in the first film, it was the upside down bar. And in the second film, it was the whole bank scene. I really dug that, that bank is gorgeous. That art deco bank was incredible. And, it, and the play out of it was <laughs> great. Um, mm-hmm. But I got to say, not a big fan of like Saw-esque movies. I'm not even a big fan of Saw movies, to be honest. And I'm definitely not a fan of escape rooms. Uh, so those movies were not really made for me. Um, but I did really enjoy like, especially like during the bank, like when they got really into, and I feel like they did a better job in the sequel of incorporating more escape room rules where it's like, okay, we got to find this clue. And this clue means this, the first movie, it felt like, all right, I don't know if these clues actually really are clues that really fit together or allude to something, but I feel like they, they went more hardcore with that. So that was fun. But um, yeah, I can I see the appeal of them. Uh, they, they just weren't for me. I do want to shout out to um, Tournament of Champions uh, for casting um, India in it. Oh, yeah. And I really dug that. They were just a character. Uh, they were just another yeah. person who was caught in it. Uh, and having a non-binary trans actor in a movie where 
you know, their character motivation isn't being driven by uh, trauma or anything or just being uh, spending all the time. They were just another person who was caught up in a fucked up situation. I thought was really great. So, yeah, that was really beautifully done. And and they did a damn good job in the film. So, you know, I was I, I was had a lot of fun watching watching for that specific reason because I wanted to see how it was handled. And yeah. I thought Adam and and the people on the film would like do a good job with that, but you just never know. You never can tell. Yeah. So you have to you know. I, and I def- <laughs> and I definitely was like because I just watched all of Pose within like a week or two. So <laughs> I was definitely on the <laughs> you better do them justice. You better do them justice. And they did. I, I thought that was great. So yeah, I had fun with them. Uh, but I think it's 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 a bit of a happy death day situation where I'm like, this, this these films were not made for me. And and that's cool. I'm glad that they have an audience and I do hope they keep making them because they seem like a lot of fun. Um and in terms of uh, new Blu-ray releases, I recently got uh, the Unner Films Blu-ray of Evil Dead Trap. Have any of you guys seen that one? No, but I just got my copy in, too. Oh, yeah. No, I've been a fan of it for a while just because it is. Well, it's very different from the usual kind of J-horror stuff, especially from the 80s, because uh, it's one of those things where, like around that time is mostly ghosts. So uh, is that the one where it's basically like an Evil Dead ripoff, but with a really muscular... Oh no no no! That's uh, body but uh, bodybuilder muscle hell or well Japanese Evil Dead. But uh, this uh, this was actually more influenced by like slashers and giallos. Okay, and yeah, so it's basically like this news reporter gets these snuff films in the mail, and instead of calling the cops, though, she takes her news team to investigate, and they go to this abandoned uh, American military base, and they start getting picked off one by one. In uh, yeah, like these traps, like there's like uh, giant spikes that come out of the walls. And at one point, uh, there's like a like a a new scarrow that comes out of nowhere. And there's this weird dude in a slicker going around. Uh, so it, it's just got all these weird element elements, and also got like a uh, also has a great synth soundtrack that was definitely Goblin inspired. It's just always interesting when. Uh, you know, like another style of movie from outside of a country influences to create a movie within another country. So like this is a uh, Japanese kind of take on slasher and giallo. And it's very effective, especially because it goes to some wild places that I don't want to spoil. Let's move on to talking about Waylon. Uh, because uh, Waylon's got to talk about me. (laughs) That's why you're here. Uh, You have some cool stuff that's happening right now, and we want to talk about it. Um, The main thing that that we brought you on to talk about is your new novella, The Stop, which is it's it's out now. You can get it like Amazon. Uh, You can get it on Amazon for Kindle and also paperbacks. Um, It's available there. Uh, I was, I have been looking into trying to get it on more digital services. I haven't been able to do that yet. And I, the audiobook has also just gone into production. So uh, there will be an audiobook forthcoming of the stop. Awesome. Give us the elevator pitch for the stop. Uh, In the stop, I take you back to 1996. Um, you know, it was a very different time in <clears throat> in the gay community and especially, well, you know, especially for gay men. It was before we had like even Craigslist or Yahoo, you know, personals and things like that. And, you know, we certainly didn't have anything as instantaneous as Grinder. So if you wanted to meet people and you were from 
some small little town, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, East Texas, you had to know where to go. And basically these cruising spots just sort of cropped up here and there. And the story takes place. This young guy named Donnie just sort of coming into his identity and figuring out who he is, uh, goes out and meets this guy at a, at a, uh, cruising spot that they call the stop it's a little rest area on the side of the road and they really hit it off and after a month or so he gets up the nerve to ask him out on a date but when he goes to pick him up for the date he discovers nate's body he has been murdered and things just kind of spiral from there reading the stop the and you know i want to know your influences for it but i also want to know if i'm on target with what i think they were or one of them yeah Oh, go ahead, please. <laughs> I was getting hu- a huge cruising vibe from it. There, There is definitely, I mean, it, it's hard not to have that vibe, you know, uh, and not to have that car- uh, comparison. I'm really pleased that I, I did something good enough to have that comparison because, you know, you just never know when you put it out if people are going to, like, make that leap. Um, I'll tell you how the story came about. Um I was up late one night. I was listening to the audiobook of the Queer Bible. It's a series of essays that members of the queer community wrote about other members of the queer community that like influenced them, like famous, you know, people. And um, the first essay was about George Michael. And it was about, you know, everything that George Michael went through and what it meant to this person who was sitting and watching George Michael go through all of what he went through, you know, with being uh, basically it was entrapment in a, in a bathroom, you know, I mean, it was, it was straight up entrapment and um, it just, you know, I started sort of reminiscing and got really nostalgic about all the, the crazy stuff we used to do, you know, back in the, back in the nineties. And, and the thought occurred to me, you know, it's a wonder more of us didn't end up murdered. And literally just that thought i had the main character i had the killer i had part you know a good three quarters of the story in my head and it just sort of took over my writing life until i could get the story down on paper now what a lot of people don't know is that this story the way i first wrote it was much much shorter it was basically a short story and um i sent it out to my beta readers and everybody came back and said first of all i think this is actually a movie and second of all i need to know more i need to know more about these characters and i need to know more about the story so even though it kind of felt like i was completely emotionally wrung out from writing the short story version of it i went into it and started looking for ways to expand it so that's how i got to the version of the the novella that that we have now that was the first thing I had thought of when reading it. And I don't know if it's just because you're a visual writer or what, but I, I kept picturing it as a movie as well. It, so I, so I, I do think you should make it into a movie. <laughs> yeah. On, on, honestly, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm almost halfway through it right now. And I keep like visualizing it like a Brian De Palma film, like uh, the characters that are there, they're very well fleshed out, but they're, weird and complicated some aren't like completely evil some are completely good there's like i i felt i could definitely see like a lot of visual stuff that like is in a diploma film you know like especially like um I, you and i were talking about before we started recording uh there's a scene between donnie and the sheriff and i'm seeing all those like that classic 
De Palma angle where both people are in focus, but one's at the other end of the room and one's at the forefront, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, I, I was wanting to ask, like, would how would you define like the particular genre of this story? You know, I had trouble with that. I had to wait until I started getting some reviews in because I was even <laughs> having some some trouble sort of defining what it was. The thing that people seem to most latch on to is revenge noir and thriller. Um, it is very grounded in reality. There is a slight sort of maybe, maybe not supernatural element to it, but it's so vague and it's so you never really know and and the characters never really know. So uh, but it is very reality grounded. It's very much um, a mystery thriller with a heavy dose of revenge noir in it. And it's very much a Texas story. I, you know, I, I set the I set it in the town where I live like the the names of the towns everything in there as far as a location goes is a real town is the stop real uh the stop was real the stop was real the stop was demolished due to a uh a highway project in the last four years or so highway project yeah yeah (laughs) Korea just did air quotes. <laughs> they they expanded the uh, uh, the highway and took out the rest stop, but um, it was a real place, and that's what it was used for. Uh, much like there's, you know, I it, all of those places are real. I'll just say all of those places are real. Now, like there's a Catholic church in it, and that Catholic church exists, but I changed the name of the Catholic church and like, you know, I've never actually been in there. So I just made up what it looks like on the inside. But that Catholic church is exactly where I say it is in the book right next to the university and and all of that. So, yeah, it's very much a reality based Texas story. One of the things that um, is definitely that, that I'm really enjoying is and it how purposeful are you about touch with this? Because it seems to be a very big uh, common occurrence description of touch. Uh, There's little moments where um, that seems more intimate than a lot of the things, a lot of the, you get very explicit Waylon. You get very explicit. Well, I do, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I mean, that's the environment, you know, that's, that's the environment. That's where they're meeting and that's what they're meeting for. Right. Oh, (laughs) it's it's totally appropriate for the subject matter, but it's, it's, I, I find it very interesting that you have these very explicit descriptions going on about these, but the moments that are more intimate are the small moments with small moments of touch. There's one where, uh, people are in a Walmart and they just happen to touch each other, uh, passing a receipt. And you even like right. ex- you you t- say what that touch means. And I, that's one thing that's like really drawing me in is, wow, first of all, we just had like a very, very graphic description of what happens uh, in the woods. And then yet, you know, the, the, it's there's there's more going on yeah, with this and, touch. And, and- I think that part of I think that part of what I was leaning into, and it was very intentional. Um, I think that in a lot of narratives, and especially narratives that have been written by uh, straight writers about the gay community, uh, especially gay men, there's 
there's very little intimacy. There is a lot of screwing and there's a lot of sex and it's all very salacious, but there's very little about intimacy. And so I put these moments in there to show that there are, there is emotional quotient to what's going on. And there's also emotional value to the relationships that are being created, even if they're being created based in this place where sex is what, you know, sex is the reason for being there, uh, that kind of connection. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that scene that you're talking about passing the receipt is one of my favorite things in the book, just because it is a moment that shows, you know, when you learn to communicate without words, because you can't say certain things out loud, like touching a hand can be one of the most potent things in the world. And so having that connection. Yeah. It's one of my favorite scenes in the book. Yeah. No, it, de- it definitely left a mark on me. And <clears throat> one of the things that I, I really like as, as a, you know, uh cis straight man who grew up in the woods of New Hampshire. So I, had very little exposure to <laughs> anything outside of that type of experience. Um, you you explain things uh, very well uh, when it comes to like stuff like what a stop is. Why are people here? What can one gain from here? What can one mm-hmm. give here? But at no point does it feel like you're over explaining. You're not talking down to the audience when uh, going over this. And nor are you just expecting us to know. Like I'm picking up stuff like very quickly. Oh, that's why. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and it's sort of a, it's sort of a a passing on of a, a, an FAQ almost, you know, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want everything to be really drawn out discussion of things. I wanted to give you what you needed so that the the narrative of the story continued um, without dragging things down because, you know, I, I love some of my favorite authors are very descriptive. I love Anne Rice. I love, Stephen King, but there are times when I'm like, could we get on with this now? Because like, you're really, really dragging me down. And I didn't want, I, I had a pace in mind for this story and I did not want to sacrifice pace, but I knew that there were certain things that I would have to explain. Yeah. It's, it's a very uh, good balance because we're, you're, we're picking up the, those details on what these things are while the actions are happening while, you know, character development is happening. And I appreciate that because, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm still just a simple, you know, woodsman bumpkin who, who you know, wanders <laughs> around and doesn't entirely know what's going on. So <laughs> simple woodsman bumpkin. I don't think are three things that you will ever really be. John. <laughs> I said sometimes, but it, and it is also interesting of reading some of this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know woods like that. It's kind of like the woods I grew up in. If I stumbled mm-hmm. upon that, that would have shocked me. I'll tell you what. Well, you know, and and one of the other things, and I'll just ask, you know, James, you've actually finished the book, but uh, you're reading right now, John, and and I don't know, Jacob, have you had a chance to read yet? Uh, I don't think I got it. Oh, okay. I will make sure you get a copy, my friend. Um, the um one of the things that that i also included are um donnie is a big reader and he's always got a book with him uh when he goes out to like sit at the stop and those book titles are very intentional so like if you want glimpses into what's going on in his mind if you want glimpses into maybe more about the situation i would say pay close attention to the books that he's reading at various points in, in the novel oh, or in the novella. 
Waylon, I noticed that with the first book title, you you weren't exactly <laughs> being subtle when no, the first book no. he's reading is Stephen King's Needful Things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, we're going out to make a deal with the devil here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was going to ask, uh, uh, why 1996? Uh, you know, 96 for me was sort of a transformative year. I was not out yet. I, you know, I wasn't taking part. I wasn't going out to to the rest stops. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. But 1996, I was starting college. I was beginning to understand that there was a world outside of the world that I was raised in. And this story felt like it needed to be told in the 90s. 96 just felt like a good time. It was, it was a time in my mind that I was like, you know, this is a story that I could really tell. And uh, it's a story that I, I lived, uh, but in a way, you know, there are aspects that I lived. I certainly didn't get involved in a murder. Uh, (laughs) Not that you would Um, admit it on you know a recording no no (laughs) not at all i'm an innocent person i mean y'all can see my halo you mean you mean this isn't the immunity portion of the podcast (laughs) but no it just felt like this was a story that really felt late 90s to me there were so many interesting things going on in the world and so many changes that were going on in the world that this felt like the time to tell that story i was i was mentioning before we got started that i have two other books sort of planned in this same vein uh and one will take place like 25 30 years before this book and one will take place about 25 or so years after this book um different generations of gay men different generations of people going through different things and and having different challenges for connection but also building it around this sort of thriller vibe so um so yeah yeah i you know the the time was very specific for for me and my own personal experience I think what you had said earlier about how um, back in the 90s, there was no, you know, not even Craigslist, let alone Grindr. Right. So I think that gives you a lot of fun places to go when you do that modern one, as well as the more primitive of the 60s. The 60s were there even rest stops that were doing that. Well, there were. Yeah, there were places that you could go in the 60s. There was, you know, there was there was. It was it was different. You know, you were much more likely, depending on part, the part of the world that you were in, you were more, much more likely to find some little dive bar down an alleyway that may or may not have like a, an awning over the door that you just have to know the password to get in, that kind of thing. Uh, it really depends. It depends on where you were. Um, a friend of mine, as a, as a gift for me for the... Um, publishing of this book sent me a book that goes into what was going on at the piers in New York at the time and, and certain during the sixties and meetings and this whole society that grew up around gay men meeting at down on the pier and, and where they would go and, and what happened to them. So that's certainly playing into how I'm sort of, plotting out some of this other book in my head, you know, just some things that I'm thinking about. Yeah. That, I mean, the peers were a big part in pose too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, for a lot of LGBTQ. Uh, 
that was eighties though. So I definitely would be interested in seeing like what that transition from like how it was in the sixties to the eighties and stuff, you know, there are actually a couple of old movies. I will have to go find the titles, but I, I don't remember them off the top of my head, but they were made in the late sixties that sort of dealt with some of that culture as well. So I will, I will have to get those, those titles to you because they're interesting films. Definitely. I got the week off, so I need I need title recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, speaking of uh, making books into movies, um, another one of yours, it, it's a short story in an anthology. Yeah. That, uh, Worst Laid Plans. And your story, your story is, is it called uh, Deep in the Heart? Is that just Deep in the Heart? Yes. Okay. Deep in the deep Heart. Deep in the Heart. Not, I always want to put the of Texas. Deep in the Heart of Texas. Deep in the Heart. <laughs> um, like in Pee Yes. <laughs> your, uh, <laughs> your story was selected as one to be made into the anthology film. How did that come yeah. out? Uh, well, it, you want to talk about the biggest surprise of your life. I, uh, <laughs> first of all, that story, that story was another one that wrote itself very, very quickly. There were a lot of edits after the first round, but that story wrote itself very quickly. And it's about a young man who's on a vacation trip with his parents and they go down into a cave in South Texas, because that's a thing we do here is go on these cave tours. And, um, you know, one of the things that happens down in caves is that the wildlife that exists elsewhere mutates to sort of, you know, fit its new environment. And I remember seeing blind catfish while we were down there and on one of these tours. And then the thought of it was, what if those blind catfish further evolved so that they were big enough to crawl out of the water and eat people? So uh, that was kind of where the story grew from. And I wrote this story. It was chosen. It was put in the, the, the anthology. And I was super excited to be in with some really talented authors, to be on the same table of contents as some of these authors was just, you know, that was the blessing in itself. And then a couple of months later, the editor of that anthology messaged me and said, Waylon, I really need to have a conversation with you. Can I call you this afternoon? And I was like, oh, crap, what happened? This is either really <laughs> good or really bad. <laughs> right. And she called me and she said, hey, we're going to make an anthology film based on worst laid plans. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And she said, and we have a director that wants to adapt your story. And I was like, has he read it? Because <laughs> like, that's going to take budget. <laughs> I was going to say it, it, it is a very cinematic. I mean, kind of like the stop. I mean, I can see it as a movie, but you're right. It's a creature feature. So there's some, yeah. there's some effects in there. Yeah. And, and I was like, are you, are you my story? Are you sure? And she was like, oh yeah, this is a guy who loves to make creatures. He loves to build, you know, actual physical props and stuff and loves to work with stuff like that. And he read your story and he loves it and he wants to make a film out of it. And she said, but I need your permission to move ahead with it. And I was like, why are you asking me a dumb question? Make the film. The director is John Hale. Uh, he lives in West Virginia. He is actually an Emmy winner, which shocked me. I had no idea that, you know, uh, I started researching him after she told me um, 
who it was. And I was like, holy crap, this guy won an Emmy, you know? And, um, but he, he loves creature features. He loves monster movies. This is his jam. And he made some changes to the story. He actually wrote the script. Uh, he aged up the main character because in my story, the main character is 12 years old. And he was like, I just, I think it would work better for the film if we made him older. And I was like, go ahead. I said, you can do anything to this character that you want to, except make him straight because it is important to me that, that he is a central gay character. And he was like, I won't touch that at all. Why is it important that, that he, that that character be gay? Because the thing is in the stop, it's a central character point and it's vital to the plot. But I didn't think in deep in the heart that it was. I, I mean, I, I could see that kid as being straight and it wouldn't affect the story at all. It wouldn't necessarily affect the story, but it's become my sort of mission. The more I write to have that representation there that that. Yeah. And and it doesn't have to be a reason. You know, there doesn't have that it you we get the question a lot when we're talking about putting a gay character into something producers editors other people will ask you why does this character need to be gay and a lot of it is why does you know why did that why does that have to exist in this story it has to exist in the story because i'm writing it and i want it there but also because i never had people to look up to when i was growing up representation was few and far between so I want to provide representation for the kid that's growing up in East Texas that doesn't have that representation. So it's just, you know, I write this character for this reason and I put this part of this character into it. But also, you know, a big part of the story is about sort of embracing who you are and sort of stepping up to the plate, even when you're terrified to do so. And I think that's also a really good lesson for young LGBTQ kids out here in the sticks who are trying to, you know, figure out how they're going to live their lives. And so I was just really adamant. I was like, you know, I, I'm not set on race. I'm not set on any of these things, but please just keep the character gay because I really want him to be a gay kid. Is the director, because he's aging him up, is he going to lean into that more? Because you would think that his, he does lean into it more. He does lean into it more. And he also has changed. He, he did a brilliant job of changing the relationship between this kid at 18 versus who this kid would be at 12 and his relationship with his parents. Because at this point, the kid is 18. His parents, he, they may not know, but they know. You know, they've got a pretty good idea. And he was able to bring in some some scenes and some interactions between the character and his parents that I was not able to go into because of where the child was in their development. And he did an excellent job of it. And and I, you know, and it's all very subtle. It's nothing that's like beating you over the head with a, a hammer or anything. He did a really good job of it. And and like I said, they're going into filming in a couple of weeks. They got a really good cast for it. And I just really wish I could go to, to 
West Virginia and be on set while it was happening. But you had uh, posted. Um, I think that I think that they posted a picture of the creature and you had reposted yeah. it. It looks really cool. <laughs> really. Cool. Yeah, that, <laughs> it is a really cool build. Uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to see it with like the skin on it and stuff, because, you know, the last thing they posted, you very much have sort of the musculature and everything now. Uh, I can't wait to see what the skin and everything is going to look like. But yeah, I'm super excited because I, I, again, I wrote this creature feature and never once thought that somebody would say, Oh yeah, let me adapt that. Let me make a film out of that. So yeah, I'm super excited to see, you know, I told my parents about this story and, and they both laughed when I said giant catfish monster, but I was like, you know, you guys laugh, but I grew up seeing pictures from people that we knew who hauled giant catfish out of lakes and stuff. And they're terrifying because real catfish, you can find them that are 300 pounds, like these huge, giant, massive creatures just make them man-eating and let them crawl out of the water and and that's terrifying to me <laughs> yeah yeah and i was gonna ask if you had any personal experiences with catfish oh yeah yeah i mean uh you know i i grew up in a family that fished a lot uh dad always had a boat we would go out on the lake and go fishing so yeah i have had i have seen my dad's hand sliced wide open when when a catfish like got him with a fin because those fins are razor sharpened of themselves, you know, uh, and the inside of a catfish's mouth is terrifying. I mean, it's, it, it's not that there are teeth and stuff in there, but it's all razor sharp. Yeah. It's all like, it will, it will cut you up in ways that you just never expected. So yeah, I've been there. And yet there's people sticking their arms down their mouths. Uh, which... Dumbest people in the world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anybody. Anybody who goes noodling or whatever you call it, it, where you're from. Yeah, no, that's scary stuff. But also, God bless them, because, you know, some fried up catfish is real good. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, like they say on reservation dogs, catfish is life. (laughs) I would always go fishing for catfish, but all I ever caught was crappie. Look, I'm a big fan of crappie. I like that. uh, I like the flavor of crappie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Way more common, at least in the river we would fish in. Oh, mm-hmm. I was a child with ADHD. Fishing was did not last long with me. I could not sit there for long. Well, you know, when they take you out, when they take you out in a boat in the middle of nowhere, there's nowhere to go, man. So you either <laughs> yeah. fish or, or <laughs> no. like they would bring me back after 10 minutes. They'd be like, this kid cannot, <laughs> you know, sit and still. the worst part, they would go night fishing. And so they would go out at like eight. 830 at night and stay out and fish until two o'clock in the morning. Well, the problem is once it gets dark, you're out in the middle of a lake and dad would light a couple of lanterns. And when you light a couple of lanterns in the middle of a dark lake, every insect in 15 miles (laughs) lands on your boat and on you and crawls all over you. And it's like having a second skin that crawls oh. constantly while you're out on the boat. So yeah, that was you know, what my, my best day was the day that I was finally old enough to say, no, I'm not going out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not doing it. I'm not taking part anymore. That's your next <laughs> short story. The second skin of insects. Um, Korea, you just need to find the right part of the river because when we would fish for catfish, and it was a river, not a boat, but you just cast across it and you, you use these little crappie jigs 
and and you reel them back in and it looks like a fish swimming, you would catch a fish every cast, every oh. cast. They'd be crappie. <laughs> they wouldn't be catfish. I heard the catfish, you would have to like let the current take the lure underneath the bank. Yeah, I don't know. Take it, was, it down closer to the bottom. Yeah, for that bottom no, feeder. No, no. the cr- crappie were more fun to catch because I have a little bit of ADHD, too. So <laughs> I like the instant gratification of feeling the, the nibble. I can't sit that long. Sun tanning can't do it. Fishing can't do it. Like I, I used to get, get you're fine back. with movies. There's stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, you're being entertained. But even that, yeah. even sitting down during this podcast, James, how many times do you yell at me for like not tapping my foot, but shaking my leg so that it moves my mic? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. If you if you ever hear that, this right here. I don't even know if you can hear that on mine because I have a good windscreen. Yeah, I'm always on the guys about that kicking their mic stands. <laughs> and so it's who's kicking their like sense. Oh, I did drink more than half a bang by the 15 minute mark. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, but yeah, I, I actually wish I could go fishing again. I used to do a lot of that, uh, both with my dad and I used to uh, fish at my old summer camp, uh, actually in New Hampshire. And, and and that was fun too because we got to make our own fishing rods. Uh, it, it was just you know you, you know you put a the sti- full camp experience. Yeah. Yeah. you build your own rod with nothing but a stick and some twine and some hooks. Yeah, and but I actually caught caught some fish with it. I can't remember really what kinds, but also I was attacked by a snapping turtle, so that was an experience. That would do it. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, and and that's the thing. There are so many things under the water that are scary. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, you know, it, writing this story about you know blind catfish that basically you know crawl up out of the depths of a dark lake in a in a cave was not a stretch of the imagination no. at all oh, because no. I could totally see it happening. <laughs> no. The camp that I would go to, um, it, it was like right off. You could literally see the freeway from it. So there was not any, it was not out in the remote woods or anything, but there was like a lake that actually was fed by the ocean because this is San Diego. And there was a rumor, there, there was a sandbar way out in this lake. And there was a rumor that out by the sandbar, there lived a shark. So, mm-hmm. and I think this was the counselors trying to tell us to not take the kayaks way the fuck out to that sandbar <laughs> because there was a shark out there. But I think they just didn't want to have to keep an eye on us way the hell out there. You know, stay near the pier, stay near over here. Yeah. And there was one side of the of the dock that we couldn't go on because that's what led to the ocean. They were afraid we'd get sucked out. Oh yeah, camp is fun. Even even city camp. <laughs> oh yeah. And- the treacher, the treacherous, uh, or the um, the dangers of fishing. I will say this: I like ice fishing because ice fishing. There's like a, a big layer between you and the water, so you can be an ADHD little, you know, shit like I was, and like still like not disturb the fish as much, you know. So let me tell you something, Jonathan. That's too cold. There, there's just no reason. There's just no reason listen, to be out in that kind of listen, weather. <laughs> I, I, listen, I get it. You're, I am a Texan. Yeah. I, I just don't do the cold if I can help it. <laughs> I get it. You're you're a Texan. I'm a New Englander. My, I, I, you know, I grew up on a power grid that could handle the cold. You know, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We, we didn't fear Lucky the winters bastards. as much. <laughs> Now, now, when we get on tangents <laughs> about camp and ice fishing, that's when you know that it's time to go. So <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. Waylon, where can everybody find you and see what you've got coming out next on the socials? Um, 
you can follow me on Twitter at WaylandVox1. Uh, I have the most boring Instagram of all time. The name is just Wayland.jordan. You'll find me there on, on Instagram. Uh, and also you can um, check out my website, which is WDaleJordan.com. And uh, you'll find that's where I post. I, well, I do blogs, but I also, you know, sometimes I'll post just short stories that I don't have a home for things like that. So there are sometimes things that you can read over there that are, are a lot of fun and also make announcements for upcoming books. I do have, I will say I have a, a longer horror novel, a full novel uh, that is coming out from off limits press next year. It's called taking possession uh, and it takes place in an old antique store and there's a haunted mirror and there's probably the most sadistic character that I've ever written in my life. And it's so something to look forward to. All right. Yeah. Antique store haunted <laughs> mirror. Sign me up. <laughs> that's some like that's some like return from the grave amicus shit right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I had a lot of fun writing that one. So um everybody go out and check out the stop. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it. I guess you're we're working on more digital platforms, but look yes, at I'm working on more digital platforms and I'm also working on the audio book. So W. Dale Jordan, the stop. Keep your eye out for best laid or worst laid plans. Yes, Worst Laid Plans. Keep your eye out for Worst Laid Plans, the anthology film, or you can just buy the anthology book, too, and get all the other stories. How many of the stories out of the book, how many are in the book, and how many got chosen for the film? Uh, I think there are, I think there were like 13 or 14 stories in the book. Uh it's less than five. I, th- I want to say it's like four or five stories that are actually being adapted. All right, so you're you're in like the upper, like, you know, 30%. <laughs> Top tier. Nice. How can you say no to a giant blind catfish eating people? <laughs> I can definitely see I can see the appeal to the director of that. So yeah, so check out uh the stop and worst laid plans and keep an eye out for worst laid plans the movie. Uh, our theme song is by Restless Spirit, so go and check them out. They they're on the move now that the world is open and back up too, so that'll be great. Uh, Chris Fisher is does our artwork. He has been posting some shots from his Rogue Bounty, so I guess his Star Wars fan film is still happening. Yes, so that's going to be cool if and when that sees the light of day. I'd say it's a when more than an if. Just knowing Chris, he'll he'll hack away at it. It might take him a couple more years, but he'll keep hacking. For us, uh, yeah, you can find us at the Eye on Horror Twitter, the Eye Horror Twitter, uh, iHorror.com, the Eye on Horror Facebook, Instagram, any anywhere Eye on Horror, you can find us. And yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, and if you need to get a message to Waylon and don't want to rewind the two minutes to find out his contact, we can get it to him. So you can find him there, too. Yeah. And I love hearing from people who have read the book. I love hearing from people who want to talk about it. You know, I hit me up. This, this is <laughs> one of my favorite parts of being an author is just talking to the people who have read it. So, Oh, you better be expecting some like messages for me once I finish. In a couple days. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, John. <laughs> right on. Okay, cool. So uh, until next time, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks for me, James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. I'm Jonathan Korea. Oh, and I'm Waylon Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eye on horror.